building intimacy with God is not something that just happens. It's something you decide. If the Lord will become your delight, not your car, not your job, not your wife, not your kids, not your grandkids, not those things, the sin that so easily besets us, then we can build this intimate relationship. But not until. David knew the warmth and the tender association he had with his God. Think about the closest relationship in your life. Those with whom you can bear your soul without being judged or rejected. Think about those who know you best and still like you. This is what God's like. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Sometimes, as a Christian, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, because if most of us don't know, if, if I can't be a good Christian, I can be not a good pastor. You can't be one or the other. You've got to be both. I, I have some dear pastor friends literally all over the world that don't even like people. <laughs> And I asked him, I said, why are you pastoring? Because God called me. Well, don't you think he asked God to change your heart a little? Nah, I just, But anyway, they, you know, and God uses them, and it's really, really cool. You, you sit back and you, you wonder, well, God can't use that kind of person. Did you ever read much about Paul, the apostle? I'm not sure Paul liked people very much. How about Jeremiah? You know, I don't think, you know, I can guarantee Elisha. How about the sons of thunder? They want to call fire down from heaven. There's a few folks that are in that. But as a Christian, I I do sit back and I look at the world and I look at life and I look at situations that are going on. And I stop and wonder, why in the world would God, who needs nobody, want a relationship with somebody? Especially me. Folks, I think I can say this for you. I think I can say this for all of us. I know me. And I got some messes. Anybody here like me? Okay. Yeah, your pastor's got some messes. But I've watched God turn every one of those messes into a great message. All of my testings into a wonderful testimony. That's what he's doing in our lives. But I sit back and I think, well, God, why didn't you do what you did for us? I mean, you gave us a dog. Man's best friend. Now, I, uh, animals make great pets. But they're not very good communicators. First time I ever went to to Europe to preach the gospel, I was in Germany. 
And everywhere you go, they have trees. I saw four- and five-story buildings with an entire forest on the roof of their building. Why? Because they worship nature quite a lot in that country. And they put that up there so they could have their, their alone time walks. What dogs and animals and cats and all, they make great pets, but they're not very communicative. Forests and trees make beautiful things to look at, but they're not great partners. The mountains and streams and their, their grandeur and glory are great, but they're not very personal. And as I look at all of God's beauty, I can understand the paradox, how an infinite creator chose to have a loving relationship with finite creation. And throughout the course of time, he has done everything in his power to do his part. I've shared with our church, if you've been here any length of time, you'll understand this statement, that there's only two things that God did first in all of, in all of creation, in all of, of time, and those two things was creation and Calvary. Every other one he did in response to us coming to him. So what I want to do this morning is I want to help us learn how to build intimacy with God. That word intimacy could also be the word familiarity. Become familiar with God. It could also be the word close and tender and warmth. Because God said, I created all of it and I gave it to you. And then the devil stole it from you because you listened to a lie, speaking to you, speaking to me. And he said, from the foundation of the world, I knew that was going to happen. And so I made a way. Not only did I create it and give it to you, but I sent my son to die and buy it back for you. And he said, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and I give it to you. It's all yours again. Amen. It is all ours again. God gave it back. And he said, all I want to do is, I want to know you love me as much as I love you. I want to know that you and I, you see, from a standpoint of personal intimacy, we see that God's unapproachable purity chose to reach into sinful humanity. Why? He wanted to become our friend. He wanted you and I to build a relationship. I'm going to take you to one of the, the greatest psalm writers. There are several psalm writers, but probably the greatest that we see is David. In the eighth chapter of the book of Psalms, look what he says. When I consider the heavens, when I look at the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have ordained, listen to his question. What is man? Who am I that you should even be mindful of me? Why did you send your son to visit? Well, God, I don't get it. Could you picture David? He's probably laying on a hillside, watching the sheep, got his hand wrapped behind his head, kind of viewing at the stars, or maybe he's on the terrace in Jerusalem. And, but wherever he is, he begins to ponder 
the relationship he has with his father. Now listen to me, listen to me. No other man in scripture, not Abraham, not Moses, not any of the prophets, had the relationship with God that David had. And listen to this. David's relationship is the one God wants us to have. What was David called? What was David called? A man after God's own heart. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to desire nothing but his heart, his plan, his ideals, his desires. The 37th psalm is such a tremendous writing, once again, of David. And I, I read through it over and over, and, and, I, and I consider what he says. But look what he says here in the third, fourth, and fifth verse. It's not in your notes, but open your Bible. It would be good to open your Bible. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him, trust in him, and he will do this. Now let me take you and focus on the fourth verse where he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I was pondering this passage years and years ago and I was just meditating, much like David thinking, God, you know, you're pretty cool. I kind of like you. I want to get closer to you. And God took me to that scripture. And I said, okay, I've read it a few hundred thousand times as most of us, but sometimes we read the Bible, we just kind of blaze through, don't we? Okay, maybe you guys don't, I do. I just read through, and sometimes I miss these things, and I'll go listen to a preacher preach, and all of a sudden he'll say something. I've read that a thousand times, and I never saw that. That's because sometimes we don't slow down long enough to see what God's doing, to hear what God's saying. God took me to this passage, and he said, do you know what it means? I said, sure, Lord. If I delight myself in you, you give me what I'm looking for. Oh, you didn't think about it that way? He said, give me the desire of my heart. No, he said, let me explain to you and tell you how I put it. He said, if I will become your delight, my heart will become your heart. David was a man after God's own heart. Why? There's nothing David wanted more than to delight in his Lord and be the delight of his Lord. See, David is watching over the sheep of the field and God exalts him to watch over the sheep of his kingdom. He ruled with a rod and staff in the field against the lion, the bears, and so on. Now he carried the rod and staff of a shepherd's responsibility in the kingdom, and all the time knowing where his help and his hope came from. He had a shepherd's heart in unity with his father's heart, which, ladies and gentlemen, is the ultimate eternal shepherd's heart. 
Can I hear you say amen? What? Can I make this real personal? What do you think about when you think about God? What do you think about? See, I'm talking about intimacy today. And by the time we're done, I'm praying that all of us have a better understanding of how to build that intimate relationship with God. What do you think about when you think about God? To many people, he's unapproachable. He's unreachable. Oh, there's others that say he's loving, but he's demanding. How do you look at him? Do you look at him as the caring, loving father? Or the insensitive old man with a club? How do we look at God? Over the last few weeks, we learned about the, the worldview. And how the worldview has basically tainted our Christian view of God. Why? This world is dysfunctional. I have a lot of people say, Pastor, you've got to understand, I'm from a dysfunctional family. I say, welcome to the human race. We're all dysfunctional. Well, I beg your pardon. Are you part of the human race? You started out with Adam and Eve. You talk about dysfunctional parents. We're all dysfunctional. We live in a dysfunctional world. And this worldview has tainted you and I. So it is hard to see our loving Heavenly Father the way He is and live in the relationship He desires because of the physical strains and schedules and mental and emotional and societal pressures that are all fighting for one precious commodity, you. This entire world has one objective. How many watch the Super Bowl? Uh, it's not a sin. Go ahead. You can raise your hand. It's, you know, I don't want you, you know, it's not. It's fine. I didn't watch. I'm not a big sports guy, so you won't hear me talk about sports a whole lot. I am a big God guy, so I'll talk about God all the time. You want to talk about God? Invite me to lunch. Invite me to... it. They're not getting it, Andrew. You got it. You know exactly. I'm looking for invitations, Justin. Okay, just okay. In the Super Bowl, did you know they pay $7 million for a 90-second ad? I mean, this seems... He's crazy. All for one thing. You. To get you interested in what they're doing, what they're promoting, what they're pushing, what they're trying. And we have this day in and day out. It's no wonder that we have a difficult time keeping our love for God alive. Why? The love of this world is pulling on us in every shape and every fashion. Everything tries to distract you and I from God's love, which I might add is the most important. You see, I love my wife. I'll die for my wife. I would die for everyone in this church, but I'll never love her as much as I love my God. And I'll never love you as much as I love my God. You say, well, pastor, what are you supposed to? No, if you decide to turn away from God, I'm not going with you. If she decides to turn away from God, I'm not going with her. The bottom line, I love my God so much that if they came to take me to prison for the gospel, I'm gone. Let's go. There's people in prison need to get saved too. We'll just start church. Do you, are you with me this morning? Are you understanding where I'm coming from? 
Now let me take you into your relationship and mine and how the word of God refers to it. Revelation chapter 2, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now I want you to make an emphasis in your notes there. Did you notice he, to the church of Ephesus? When you read through the seven churches of Revelation, it never talks about the churches. It talks about the church, a singular, unified body. When God looks at Flagstaff, he doesn't look at victorious life. He doesn't look at Assembly of God or Methodist or this. He looks at the church of Flagstaff. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what our churches need to become, the church of Flagstaff. Just a little side note for you this morning. Listen to what he says to the church at Ephesus. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who said they were apostles, and you found them that they were liars. And you persevered, and you have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Well, grab this. He said, yet I have something against you. And underline this in your notes, please. You have left your first love. Notice he didn't say you lost it. He said you left it. You made a decision. You were going this way and you decided to go that way. And this is what happens. Look at me in our lives as Christians. Please look at me. This is what happens in our lives as Christians. We're following God. And all of a sudden something distracts us. You know the Bible calls that a temptation. It distracts us. Why? It wants us to get our eyes off the goal, off the mark, off the prize, the high call of God in Christ Jesus. And that distraction tries to allure us. That distraction could be a host of things. There's not a specific things. In, in the book of, of Hebrews, the Bible says, let us lay aside every weight, and listen, and the sin that so easily besets us. There is one thing that torments us. And we yield to over and over again. How many can say amen? And the devil is always there trying to distract us, trying to turn us away. Now let's go back to the life of David. David had intimacy with God. Yet he had his distractions. We, we know them. We've watched them. Bathsheba was one of them not standing up against his son Absalom, who was trying to overthrow the kingdom in a corrupt way, was another one of them. Not bringing the, the, uh, the, uh, the punishment that he was supposed to bring upon a certain family member. was another. David had his distractions, but every time that he fell flat on his face, what did he do? He turned over and started looking up and said, Dad, I know you're still there. Dad, I know I screwed up. Can I say that in church? Monty, I, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I messed up, Dad. But I know you're still there. Forgive me. Help me. Can I tell you something? When you blow it, has anybody here ever blew it besides me? Okay, okay. Did you know you didn't shock God when you did? It wasn't a surprise. God wasn't going along, and, and all of a sudden, he, he saw, he saw uh, Ivan. Man, I didn't know I was going to mess up. Oh, no. God's there waiting. I said, Ivan, I know you messed up. Will you look back up? 
Will you look up? You see, building intimacy with God is not something that just happens. It's something you decide. If the Lord will become your delight, not your car, not your job, not your wife, not your kids, not your grandkids, not those things, the sin that so easily besets us, then we can build this intimate relationship, but not until. David knew the warmth and the tender association he had with his God. Think about the closest relationship in your life. Those with whom you can bear your soul without being judged or rejected. Think about those who know you best and still like you. This is what God's like. See, God already knows that stuff. I remember a little girl was talking to her mama one time, and, and, and she said, Mom, is, is God everywhere all the time? Yes, honey. You mean when I'm over here? He, yes, honey. He sees that? Yes, honey. So mom used it as a teaching moment. She said, that's why you always need to be doing right, because God always sees. You mean God's in the bathroom too? Uh, the mom got the picture. There are our lives that have to purposefully say, God, I know you're everywhere, so I need to live for you everywhere. Not because I have to, not because I'm waiting for you to hit me with a stick, but because you loved me so much to make a way where there was no way. How could I not build that same relationship with you? Let me ask you a question. How long has it been? Or have you ever been in a real, honest relationship with God? Well, Pastor, I can't tell God that. He already knows it. It's like the, the pastor. The Lord was in, show, uh, appeared in his office one day, and he had a, a set of keys in his hand. And the pastor just, he fell on his face, Lord, God, and Jesus told him, stand. And Jesus wouldn't take his hand off the keys. And the pastor said, Lord, what are the keys? He said, these are the keys to your life. And he had one particular key that he was holding on to. And the pastor knew there was something about it. And he said, Lord, that part of my life I, I just can't give you. But please listen to me. He said, that he already knew that what the key went to. He said, Lord, I can't. And the Lord took the set of keys and threw them on his desk. And he said, if I'm not Lord of all, I'm not Lord at all. Look at me, please. Do you have an honest, open relationship with your God? He knows you in the bathroom. He knows you. He knows me. That's why when I mess up, and yes, your pastor messes up, 
Not purposely, but just because I'm human. The first thing I do is I look up. Say, God, forgive me. When my wife and I have a disagreement, oh, yes, pastors and wives have those disagreements too. To answer your question, yes, most of the time it's her. But, okay, not really. (laughs) Just kidding. But when we do, 99.9% of the time, I'll go to her and ask her to forgive me. You say, well, Pastor, what about that one-tenth of one percent? I may have forgot. But I go, you know why? It's not her problem, it's my problem. The minute I enter into this thing, I'm the one that's hindering my relationship with God. You see what I'm talking about this morning? This type of relationship takes commitment, dedication, time on our part to build and, and, and nurture and this becomes our most intimate friendship is that one. I can talk to God about anything. I can go anywhere with God. It's the relationship David had, which is why he was a man after God's own heart. It was the one that he took time to build, but he also understood it took time to maintain. See, David was very good at loving God on the mountaintops of hope and in the valleys of despair. Watchman Nee. Famous Christian of years gone by said the fellowship of the body is two-way. It's receiving and it's giving. Wanting only to receive is not fellowship. Folks, that's the church world of today. It's a consumer generation. Give me, give me, give me. My name is Timmy. Oh, we may not all want to be preachers, but when we come to worship, we must bring all that we have. There must be help from the pulpit and the pew. Sitting and looking simply will not do. We must give others to drink as we ourselves must drink. Not necessarily by speaking, but maybe just by quietly praying. Each member of the body has a ministry and every member is called to a function in the place appointed by the Lord. Listen, it makes no difference who does the work as long as God is getting the glory. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. If the Lord becomes your delight, his heart will become yours. Intimacy is a purposeful effort to build. And it's an even more purposeful effort to keep. Not because God's ever-changing, but because you and I are ever-changing. We live in a quick-fix society full of superficial relationships that last many times no longer than they took to make. Superficiality is literally the curse of the age. We live in an instant society. We can drive up to to McDonald's and have it our way. So we expect the church to give it our way. See, God allows things in our lives, even suffering, for the sole purpose of drawing us to a deeper relationship with him. I don't know about you, But when I hurt the most as a child growing up, there's nobody I wanted to be around more than my mom and dad. That comfort. And you know what? I was the one that ran to them. It's the same thing today in our life as Christians. 
Why is it when we hurt the most, we try to retaliate against the one that hurt us? I didn't do that. I ran away from that bully and ran straight to my help and my comfort and my hope. Because I knew I was going to get built up. Am I making sense this morning? I knew I was going to get encouraged. Why? Because I had an intimate relationship there. It's your responsibility and mine, according to the book of James, to draw near to God. Let me read this to you in James chapter 4. I, I love the way that, that Eugene Peterson wrote it in the, in the message. Listen to it. So let God work his will in your life. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. The King James says, resist the devil and he will flee. Some of us have a hard time with that resisting part, don't we? And this is what it says. He goes on to say, say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master and he'll get you on your feet. When's the last time you had that open, honest relationship with God? In the world and society, always fighting for our time and attention, it's easy for us to fall in and out of love with God. But is it really? How do you fall out of love with the one who first gave his love? How do you really accept you do it intentionally? Building intimacy with God is the same thing. It's intentional. Many Christians keep God too distant. Let me ask you, look at me please. Have you fallen out of love with God? Has other stuff become more of a draw? Things? People? You know, Pastor, I got this, this lady that I'm courting. Uh, and I'll tell you what, it's her God, her God, her God. Yeah, hers God. We have to understand the world is never going to stop pulling us. Never. And we cannot keep God at a distance because we think, well, maybe God's not going to be happy with what I'm doing. Have you ever fallen out of love with God? Does he seem removed? The question that I have to ask, who changed? Who moved? That's like Ollie and Holga. They're driving down the roads and they love each other and they're just having an exciting time and a few years go by, and they're driving down the road, and they're loving each other. All of a sudden, about 30 years into the marriage, they're driving down the road. Now, back when I was a kid, they didn't have bucket seats in a lot of cars. They had bench seats. So what the guy and the girl do in the car? We sit next. Don't your mind go there. I know. Hey, come on. They sat together in the front seat, didn't they? Ollie and Holger are driving down the road, and Holger finally says, Ollie, we're not as close as we used to be. She's sitting on the other side of the bench seat. Ollie just grabs the steering wheel and clutches it and says, I ain't never moved. If that relationship isn't what it used to be, who moved? 
It's that tenderness, that intimacy, that compassion, that passion. Who moved? See, David dealt with this over and over and over again. So let me start to bring this down. How do we gain this intimacy? Or for some of us, how do we regain it? Understand he is our loving Heavenly Father, he loves us and desires nothing but the best for us. He will do all he can do to make sure the best comes out in us and for us. But the key to our relationship is the key to any relationship. We have to discipline ourselves. I had a couple in the church tell me this morning, said, Pastor, this is the first church we've ever been to that we haven't missed a Sunday since we started. And we don't want to miss other churches. And I, I'm, I'm very gratified and gracious, uh, glad to hear this. Other churches, man, sometimes it was just tough to even want to get up. And this is one of those mornings. I told my wife, I said, you know, honey, I'm not feeling really good today. I'd like to crawl back in bed. But then I started thinking, who am I going to call to preach? And I knew Andrew was leading worship, and he didn't want to do both, so I didn't, you know. I was thinking about Rick Tracy, but, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, yeah. So I didn't crawl back in bed. But you know what? Even if I wanted to, I wouldn't. I really like coming to church. I really like coming in the house of God. Once again, David wrote, blessed are they when they say, let's come into the house of God. Let's come into the house of God. In our church, I hear people say that all the time, Pastor, I can't wait for Sunday. I can't wait for church. Part of my passion and desire in this church is that soon we'll have church seven days a week. Oh, don't worry, you don't have to come seven days. But we'll have lots of people coming. Now, I use a hard word in that last statement. I said discipline. And discipline is something that we don't like to use because we put a connotation of discipline to work. But let me take you into the, into the original language, into the Greek in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to what it says. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of a little profit. Godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds the promise of the present and the life to come. You see, that word discipline would be more akin to the word commitment in Christ. He said bodily exercise. How many of how many have, have taken our bodies and we've worked them to death, trying to get them nice and form-fitted like this one of mine? Some of you guys will catch that later, won't they, Chris? Well, yeah, yeah, okay. My humor does, no, never mind. It doesn't, it really doesn't get better. The word that we get discipline is more truer to the word commitment. Dedication. From the perspective of God's word, it's literally saying that it's our responsibility to make the commitment to draw closer to God in that intimacy. We make building our relationship with God the priority, not just casually. Oh, God, it's time for church. I guess we should go. No, it's a, it's a commitment, it's a desire, it's a passion that draws me. The Bible says that the love of Christ constrains me. 
The relationship we have with God is totally dependent upon the commitment that you and I have. Let me give you four things in closing that will help you build this intimacy with God. It's in your notes. Number one is simplicity. Just be open with God. Be honest. Stop trying to cover things. Stop trying to hide things. Stop trying to be something you're not. I remember when I first got saved and I started pastoring many, many years ago, I would listen to Billy Graham and I'd start preaching like Billy Graham. I'd listen to David Wilkerson and I'd start preaching like David Wilkerson. I'd listen to some, some guy across town and I'd start preaching like him. And God interrupted me one day and said, I already got a Billy Graham. I got a Wilkerson. I need a Tim. Oh. So many of us try to be something we're not. God says, just live simply. It's not difficult. David's life was a life of simplicity. When he messed up, he looked up. He did not try to play games with God. You see, God, understand this, God will not always speed up to catch us at our pace of living. He wants us to slow down. What's that? Stop and smell the flowers? Hebrews 13 tells us very clearly to be content with such things as we have. And what is that contentment? He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. The second thing David was before God, he was just silent. He didn't try to make excuses. When Nathan came to David after the fall of Bathsheba, David was told the story by Nathan. And David's response to the story when he was busted, because Nathan said, you are the man, you are guilty. David's response, he didn't kill the prophet, he could have. He didn't get mad and throw a tent. He said these words, God against you and you alone I have sinned. I haven't done this against my wife. I haven't done this against my family. I haven't done this against my, I've, I've sinned against you. David said, I have no thing to say. I have no words. I'm just silent. We must develop an attitude that patiently stands before God. And just say, God, it's about you and me. You see, God will not always scream over the noisy crowd in society to get your attention to draw you back. Sometimes he'll let you run flat into that wall. Can you say amen? Is any of this making sense today? The third thing is solitude. I'm talking about building an intimacy with God. If you're not going to live a simple life, you'll never have intimacy with God. If you're not going to live a silent life and stop making excuses, you're not going to have intimacy with God. If you're not going to take time with God, you can never build intimacy with God. David took time. The Bible says when Jesus walked the earth, he was harangued by people day in and day out. But what did he do? He always got away. He left the disciples. He left everybody. Why? To get alone with God. 
There's sometimes I have to get away from everything just to clear my head, just to not let my phone ring, not to let stuff, and just to get alone. I've got to have that solitude. I've got to be able to wait on God. See, God will not allow you and I to squeeze him into our framework. He says we have to get into him that he can work on this frame. The fourth thing is total surrender. To let go means to recognize that God is Lord of all. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I I don't know about you, but I'm just going to talk about me. I don't know how to handle the issues of life, folks. I don't know how to handle the things in your life. I, I don't. I don't. But he does. And you know what? If I'll simply get silent before God, in the solitude of aloneness with him and surrender it all, you know what's going to happen? His heart is going to become my heart and my heart is going to become his because I have made him my delight. Now, before I try to make you think this is all up to you, The greatest thing about God is he did it all first. J.I. Packer said these words, what matters supremely is not the fact that I know God, but rather that God knows me, that I am graven in the palm of his hands, that I'm never out of his mind. Listen, this is the one that wants to have an intimate relationship with you. This is the one that wants to, to know you and to know that you are known better than you could ever know yourself. He goes on to say, all my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me, and he continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off of me or his attention is distracted from me, and because of this, no moment when his care falters for me. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me to do good. There's a tremendous relief in knowing that the love he has for me is utterly realistic. It is based on every point of prior knowledge, listen, about the worst in me so that no discovery will ever disillusion him about me and that the way I am so often delusioned about myself will never quench his determination and affection for me. Let me share three pieces of scripture. Psalm 139 says he knows me better than I know myself. Before I even speak a word, he already knew what I was going to say. How intimate is that? You have marriage relationships that a wife will start speaking and the husband will finish. The husband will start speaking and the wife will finish. That's called intimacy. That's called you know each other so well that none of the distractions make a difference, only you and her. The 139th Psalm goes on to say, he knows 
the numbers of days in my life. He set them at the beginning, and he is going to fulfill them. Luke 12 says, so intimate he is with us. He even knows the number of hairs on your head and those in your brush. He knows them. That's the relationship. It is in that God knows us so well that we just need to be open and honest and real. And say, God, here, here I am. I don't know about you, but for me, God's getting the short end of the stick. But that's the intimacy he wants. That's what he desires, young Mr. Eric. He knows you better than you could ever imagine. He just wants you to get to know him that way. Just that way, Nance. That's what he wants. He wants you to build that. Melissa, my sweet wife, you know there's something that I have, and it is a tender, tender relationship with my father. I love my wife, but I'd rather talk to dad anytime. I talk to her all the time. But my daddy, I spend as much time as I can with. You know why? Because he stepped out of eternity in a time to spend it with me. That's the intimacy he wants for you, Carrie. That's what he wants, Jimmy. Ricardo, that's what he wants. Chris, that's what he wants. Ann, Tina, that's what he wants. He wants us to take that time. And the only way you're going to do it is you've got to make that time. Job gets pretty hectic, doesn't it, Justin? But I tell you what, I've had some of the greatest time alone with God in the midst of 100 people. Why? Because I knew I had my hands in his hands doing the work. When's the last time you were that close to your heavenly father? When was the last time? Has it been too long? Has it been too long? We're going to start singing a song here in a moment. And I'm just going to open the altars because you know what I want you to do? Intimacy starts with a decision. It starts with a decision that says, God, I got to run back to you. David and Bathsheba. He stayed in the streets of Israel in Jerusalem crying that God might spare the baby that the prophet said would die. He prayed and he prayed and didn't stop until the baby died. The people came to him and said, "What? I don't understand this. And this is what David said, and I'm just going to paraphrase. He said, I know my father, and I know he has a heart of compassion. And I just wanted to lay my sin before him. I wanted to say my, lay my weakness, 
my inability before him. He said, I can't bring the child back, but I'm going to go to him one day. But he said, how did I know that God might not change his mind because of his love, because of his compassion? But after the child died, the Bible says he just got up, cleaned himself, went back to work. Ladies and gentlemen, understand, God will never give up on you and me. Never give up on you and me. Can can I say that again? Never give up. Jerry and I might fall flat on our face time and time again, and God's going to say, I'm not giving up. Come on, get up. Get up. That's the relationship he wants you to have, but it takes work because the whole world's trying to build you into its relationship. It takes work. It takes work. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.